Hi, this is Deanna. And this is Michelle. And this is Historable. Michelle. So Deanna. Here we are again with another Deanna-led episode. It's a back-to-back kind of... Back-to-back Deanna episode. It's a back-to-back kind of week. Let's get it. Double weeks. So do you guys remember the other day when we said we were going to a trivia after recording? We went to this trivia and they were playing... I think it's what? The Queen song? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's like, don't stop me now. Mm-hmm. And it says, like, Lady Godiva. Yep. And I turn to D and I'm like, oh my God, Lady Godiva. And so Here we today's are. episode was born. <laughs> it's an interesting episode. So we're just going to like dive right into it. Okay. I'm really excited because Deanna's been talking about the way that she structured this episode in a very interesting way. And so I'm really excited to see what that means. As mentioned, we are going to talk about Lady Godiva, who is really like infamous or known for riding a horse naked. 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 I'm not sure if, did you know that before this? That's all I knew. Okay, cool. And only because I'm obsessed with the show Charmed and they did an episode on her in that show. Got it. Yeah. So on today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about Lady Godiva's history. And then I'm going to take you along the rabbit hole that was my research following researching Lady Godiva, which will make sense once we get there. Love a good rabbit hole. Yeah, because fun fact, there's actually not a ton about her on record. I think (laughs) I think a lot of what remains of her history from like today, from my impression, is mythical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, And not a ton of myths either. So we'll see how today's episodes go. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) So Lady Godiva was an 11th century noblewoman. So that's like the thousands. Yeah. I don't I don't know. How do you say that, actually? Um, the ten hundreds? The thousands? I guess yeah. like the thousand. The thousands? Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So she was married to Leo Frick. Um, so he was a powerful earl of Mercia, and he was a lord of Coventry. Um, and actually, accounts show that when she was born she was referred to as god gifu but is known as lady godiva today i think that makes sense so this is in mercia so this is england Mm -hmm. present day england yep and so i think a lot of it even like leo fritch i think a lot of that comes from the viking roots oh so it's leo fritch i think leo fritch okay it looks like leo frick so i was like i don't know yeah i I believe you Um, more than myself well and then that's why i know mercia too because i watch oh last kingdom oh okay yeah and so all these names are in there. I could be wrong about Leah Fritch. Yeah. Anywho, Anywho, let's just roll with it. The one thing that does stand out um, in the story of Lady Godiva, she was really known for her generosity to the church. So mm-hmm. once again, she was a real person. Uh, even though there's a lot of myths around her, she was real um, and was very much dedicated to the church and supporting that. So in or around the year 1043, the Earl and the Countess... Uh, that's what she was at that point. They founded a Benedictine house for an abbot, and there was some 24 monks there as okay. well, near like a nunnery. Okay. And 
I guess like during the dedication ceremony for this location, the Earl said he laid his founding charter upon the newly consecrated altar. And so like it created the foundation for the house, but also somehow it gave him lordship over like 24 villages. Like, oh, so basically like they owned a lot of land. They were a very wealthy family, um, very well off, and they just had a lot of power mm-hmm. back at that time. Okay. Um, also, Lady Godiva gave the monastery lots of gifts in honor of the Virgin Mary. So going back, she was a very religious woman. From the accounts, apparently what they say is she had all of her gold and her silver melted down, and they made it into crosses, image of saints, and other decorations to really... I guess, decorate uh, the house. Sure. So there you go. Like I mentioned earlier, they owned a lot of land. Also, by all accounts, uh, Lady Godiva was one of the only few female landowners in England in the thousands. Oh. But the one thing that she's most known for, there's really no mention in history books of the horseback ride itself. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the ride, and that's really where a lot of... When you look up Lady Godiva, I mean, you see chocolate. Mm -hmm. They were inspired by this myth. Um, But there's really not much about, like, her childhood. There's not a ton about, like, anything else but this ride. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the horse ride. Okay. All right. So the story of Lady Godiva and her horse ride appears to actually have first shown up, kind of documented, about 100 years after her death. Um, It was documented in a book by the English monk Roger of Wendover. I don't know why I did that, but I think it sounds cooler. Wendover. Wendover. I don't know why I just whispered that. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, his vibe was very much that he was pretty well known for stretching the truth in his writings. Solid, solid. Yeah, we'll see. So as the story goes, which you may or may not have heard, but... What was happening um, was Lady Godiva was kind of upset at her husband. Um, I guess he had put a lot of really heavy taxes um, on the citizens of Coventry where they lived. And so she constantly was like, hey, hey, like, let's lessen the burden. And it sounds as though Leo, I'm going to call him Leo Frick Fritch. We don't know which one it is. Leo Fritch. Uh, Apparently, it sounds like he made kind of a little side comment, like a little joke, like, that he would only lower taxes if she rode naked on horseback through the center of the town. In this writing by the monk, kind of what folds next isn't documented, but it is said that she was so passionate about the people of the land, she was like, all right, I'm going to do it. So she ordered the people to stay indoors, um, keep their windows and doors barred, And she loosened her long hair, apparently it was very, very long hair, uh, used it as a cloak, and hopped on her horse. Then she rode through the silent streets, unseen by the people, and a lot of people had respect for her, so they were like, yep, uh, we're going to stay inside. So she did her ride. Um, This is interesting. So pretty much, I mean, everybody stayed indoors, didn't look, let her do her naked horse ride, But it is said that one man named Tom couldn't resist opening his window to just see what's going on. Oh. And this is where the term peeping Tom comes from. 
Oh. He was peeping on Lady Godiva. Wow. And was struck blind uh, because he was being a creeper. So there you go. Like Medusa. Yeah. I guess they were like, absolutely not. The soldiers may or may not have struck him blind. And then he may have died. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So after she finished her naked ride, Lady Godiva's like, hey, hubs. Like, I did my piece. Now do your piece. And apparently, true to his word, uh, he did reduce the taxes and the debts. Um, The one thing that's said is that he pretty much removed all the tolls except for those on horses um for whatever reason i don't know interesting um and actually the article i was reading said that they they did look into an official kind of man i don't know where they pulled this up but they looked into um the documents and it does show at that time no tolls were paid in coventry except on horses so Hmm. who's to say if it was true or not yeah success i guess (laughs) yeah uh, so Leo Fritsch, Frick, uh, died around 1057. Uh, he was buried with, there was a big ceremony um, at the Abbey Church. And it's said that Lady Godiva lived for about 10 years later. Um, it's also said that she was buried in the same church, but it is yet to be proven. It's also said on her deathbed, she gave like a big, heavy, gem-encrusted gold chain to the monastery. Mm-hmm. And directed that it should be placed around the neck of the image of the Virgin um, in that uh, monastery monastery that they had built. And so she said when people came to pray, they should say a prayer for each stone in the chain. Um, so there you go. Interesting. And okay. she died. Yeah. So another interesting, I guess, piece to this legacy, a lot of historians modern day considered this nude horse ride um, a myth. Right. And another piece, kind of going back to that peeping Tom part, it actually didn't even become a part of the story until about the 16th century. So 1500s for those uh, doing math. So so those AKA Michelle who hates using time increments in century. (laughs) Yep. And then, um, you know, the Lady Godiva myth was later popularized in songs like one that we heard. There's poems, there's art, there's statues. Like, this myth really took a life of its own. And even today, um, there is a Godiva procession. Um, It actually started back in 1678 in the Coventry Fair. And I guess they reenact Lady Godiva's original route through town that may or may not have happened. Interesting. So, okay, so that is the story of Lady Godiva. And that's all I could find. Okay. And so as I was doing my research, I kept seeing that everyone referred to her as an Anglo-Saxon. And I was like, like, huh? Like, I actually don't even know what that truly means. So here here goes my first rabbit hole. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'm sure you know way more on this topic than I do. But I was like, what? What is an Anglo-Saxon? What are the history of this? And like, what happened? I feel like the term Anglo-Saxon is mostly misused in present day. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the second rabbit hole I went down, which will come after the history. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's get there. (laughs) I told you this was a weird episode. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to show everyone behind the scenes. Here's the rabbit holes that actually happen. And let's just like go through it real time. Yeah. Especially in this instance where there's just not a lot of information about her but i think 
there's so many cultural references to this myth and this tale. Um, I think it's just stuff you should know. Yeah. So there you go. So when I went down my little, what is an Anglo-Saxon history, um, so I'm focusing on specifically the history in Britain. So this period of time uh, spans approximately about six centuries, so from 410 to 1066 AD. After the Romans left, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, So I'm going to talk about the Romans in a second. Okay. (laughs) Um, So this period used to be known as the Dark Ages. And this made sense during my rabbit hole because a lot of the written sources for this time are pretty scarce. And I was like, oh, okay, that actually makes way more sense why I couldn't find information on Lady Godiva because there just weren't records. Well, I was going to say earlier too, I have a feeling that because written history was so scarce back then like no one was being like you know what we need to do write down all the happenings like Mm -hmm. no one was saying no one was journaling no one was journaling no one was writing down all the tales it was a select few people and they were very selective of what made in the history books and what didn't Mm -hmm. and so i have a feeling that they're like oh a woman like standing up for her town and ended up winning and then lowering taxes like we're not gonna add that to history i have a feeling that there was some salty mans out there yeah i don't know not writing her into history but we'll never know. We'll never know. And that bothers me. I know. Ugh. Anyway, continue. So most historians today now prefer using the terms the early Middle Ages or early medieval period to cover this span of time. Mm-hmm. So just fun fact for those out there. So going back to the history of Anglo-Saxons in Britain. Um, so kind of what you talked about earlier. Uh, there were mercenaries had that had fought in the Roman army in Britain. So, like, a lot of these people were not strangers to the island. Um, They had been involved with, you know, slow invasions, and I'm sure we'll do an episode one day on that. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to give you very, very, very high level on this. Um, But there is even some evidence to suggest that initially some Saxons were actually invited to help protect Britain from invasion. So they kind of had this, like, double, I guess, like, join our team. So at some point... The Romans leave Britain. And at this point, uh, the Germanic-speaking Angles, Saxons, Jutes, and Frisians uh, begin to arrive. Mm -hmm. And so at first, it's kind of like small parties and then in increasing numbers. So initially, this group actually had, you know, little resistance um, from the people that currently existed living in that area. They're like, yeah, it's fine. Mm -hmm. After 500 AD, however, um, I guess like these groups coming in were pretty like fiercely resisted Mm -hmm. um, by what are known as the Romano British. And they may have been led by King Arthur. And there's like back and forth on whether or not this man actually existed. Um, So I'm excited to do like a a proper episode on this topic because I feel like there's a lot here Mm -hmm. um, that I'm just kind of brushing over. But yeah. I guess there was a monk um, named Gildas, and he was a writer in the mid-6th century. And he does talk about a British Christian leader called Ambrosius, um, who actually rallied the Romano-British against this group of Germanic-speaking people that came in, Mm -hmm. won battles, and later accounts call this leader Arthur. So maybe that's King Arthur, maybe it's not. There's just a lot of history that is, I guess, a lot of... I don't know what the word is just a lot of like guesses and 
Yeah. Going back to what you said earlier. (laughs) I think that's one of the most frustrating things about going really far back in history is that like we will actually never know. Mm -hmm. Or like thinking about all the information that was stored in the, what is it, the Alexandria Library and Mm -hmm. that burnt down, which that's a whole freaking episode. (laughs) But I'm like, how much do we just not know? How much was written down and was just lost in time and just thrown away? Or like I think about like, Rome constantly trying to build like subway tunnels and having mm-hmm. to stop because they keep finding like archaeological digs and stuff. Yeah. And I just, someone give me an outlander stone and bring me back on time. Like, <laughs> Well, and this is the best part. So my next, my next little section talks a little bit about, um, and this kind of goes to like, obviously like Britain was huge. Um, and so the Celtic areas of Britain mm-hmm. eventually regarded the Saxons as enemies and foreigners. So they were like, nope. And um, they became known as, oh, I'm going to butcher it, but they talk about this in Outlander, Sassanac. Sassanac. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Sassanac and then Sesnej or something like that. So it just reminded me of Outlander. <laughs> yeah, because Sassanac means an Outlander. Like, you're not from here. Mm-hmm. You're a foreigner. So that is the historical context for Outlander folks out there. Love me some Outlander. <laughs> and so we have these, you know, different... They refer to them as the Anglo-Saxon groups settling in different areas of Britain. Um, they did eventually form several kingdoms. This was often changing, kind of what you talked about earlier. There was so much change. People were constantly at war with one another. Oh, yeah, literally watch The Last Kingdom. One, it's such a good show. But besides that, I I like a good mix where it's like just like Outlander, something that has historical context, but with like real life drama. Yeah. Right? So like <laughs> kind of the same thing, but it's so good. And I feel like I learned so much. Now, again, it's a TV show, so you have to like keep that in mind always. But I learned so much about this time period, like mm-hmm. the Kingdom of Mercia and Wessex and the Danes and this. And oh, I'm going to I'm going to quiz you in just a second. Cool. So we had all these different kingdoms, um, and sometimes throughout history, they're acknowledged that there's like one ruler known as the High King. Mm-hmm. Do you know the name of that? Like of all time or during this specific period? It says the Brett Walta. Does that mean anything to you? No. Okay, we'll, we'll dig on that in a further episode. Okay. So by, this is where the quiz truly comes in. So by 650 AD, there were seven separate kingdoms. Michelle. Can, Can you name, name the seven kingdoms? Okay. I feel okay. like I need to mark this off Wait, on my in, page. In what year, though? <laughs> this is okay, 650 AD. Okay. No, because I'm just thinking back to my last kingdom knowledge. The last kingdom, I think, is set in like the 800s. Okay. So I'm just trying to say like how much of this is still contextual to that period. Okay. okay. Let's see what you can do. Okay. So Mercia. Mm-hmm. Wessex. Yep. East Anglia. So I'm yep. going to go with a West Anglia. Nope, East no. Anglia. You were right. Just East Anglia. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's no West Anglia, though? Not on this list. Okay. No. And then what's up in the north? Oh, Northumbria. Yep. Okay. Stop it. Are you going to get all these? Okay, wait. Northumbria. <laughs> There's okay. three more. Three more? That's a lot. Okay. Is East Anglia... No, that's not Wales. So East Anglia was made up of two angles, the North Fo- the North Folk and the South Folk. So they were in modern North Norfolk and Suffolk. I don't know. Norfolk and South. Okay. Yeah. So okay. you got three more. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're going to have to give me the other For one. what it's worth, um, for, for our listeners, Michelle had no idea I was going to do this. And I'm actually really impressed you got four out of seven without <laughs> even like... It's because I watched the show. <laughs> so the other three, they were Kent, Essex, and Sussex. Oh, that makes me so mad. So for those 
who just want like a quick summary, a TLDR. By 650 AD, the seven separate kingdoms were Kent, Mercia, Northumbria, East Anglia, Anglia, Mm. Essex, Sussex, and Wessex. Dang. So there you go. Anyway, All everyone right. should just watch The Last. This is just like, I feel like an entire push by me to just say, watch the show The Last Kingdom. I think I'll have to do that this it's weekend. Okay. Love it. <laughs> All right. So after 793, um, I'm, I'm positive we'll do an episode on this, but uh, the Vikings raided Lindisfarne Monastery. And this is where a lot of the history of the Anglo-Saxons kind of becomes entangled with that of the Vikings. So... In many ways, they were similar, same language, religion, North European origins, but I guess there's a lot of differences, and that is a rabbit hole I did not choose to go down today, but I knew we had Vikings eventually on this, the list. Yeah, so. literally just the word Vikings has been on our list since probably day one, but we just haven't figured out how to like put that into one little nugget of an episode. Yeah, it's so gonna more have to, to come. be several, but yeah, more to come. More to come. So... By 850 AD, the seven kingdoms we mentioned earlier had consolidated into three large kingdoms, Northumbria, Mercia, and Wessex. So, and also um, those known as the Anglo-Saxons were were pretty much a Christian, were very Christian, um, which actually makes sense because around, you know, Lady Godiva was, you know, 150 years later-ish, and she was obviously very religious. So... That was that rabbit hole I went down. That's pretty much where the show kind of picks up is like, I guess I would say around that area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And now we're at the final piece of the very strange rabbit hole I went on putting together this episode. It ties into what you said earlier um, about kind of the modern day terms and thoughts about the term Mm Anglo-Saxon. And so I will put this on our website, um, and I think it's a really great read for those that are interested in this topic. I'm going to give you a very just quick high-level overview, but it is um, an article from Smithsonian Magazine, and it's entitled The Many Myths of the Term Anglo-Saxon. And so there are two medieval scholars that, it's like a very long article, very interesting, but they kind of tackle like the misuse of the phrase Anglo-Saxon that actually was rarely used by these people. So, fun fact, they actually didn't call themselves the Anglo-Saxons. I mean, yeah. So, there are these two um, yeah, two scholars. They talk a little bit about just, like, their thoughts, kind of the evolution of using that term, how it's evolved over time. Because um, I feel like in present day, people use the term Anglo-Saxon to be, like, white people. Yep. And it's, yeah, often, almost always, like, inaccurate or used in a racist context. Yeah. Um, and when you look back on the very, very, very few surviving texts from that time, uh, people in that region more commonly called themselves Anglis, Anglisk and Angels, Angelson, Angelkin, Kin, I don't know. Anyway, um, when you look over kind of the, the works and the writings from that time, um, the term Anglo-Saxon only appears three times from like 410 to 1066. So like, that's not, that's not what they call themselves. So in this article, uh, the two scholars that wrote it say that modern references and people who look back on uh, Anglo-Saxon political traditions would actually benefit from reading old English charters that still exist today. So these are early medieval documents, um, and a lot of them are primarily like focused on land grants, 
uh, wills, things like that. Um, and from the 8th century onward, they say that these charters are increasingly like favoring granting land to people, many of whom were migrants. Um, so the point of this article was when people talk about the roots and are referring to Anglo-Saxons, actually this term translates to more open, inclusive borders. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a great article. It's really interesting. Um, and so their take is kind of like using the term Anglo-Saxon in general um, combines so many tribes and peoples in a very oversimplified way. Um, it doesn't talk anything about the Britons and others who migrated or settled in the region. Um, and at the core of it, like Anglo and Saxon people, as we mentioned earlier, were, were migrants, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, I didn't go down too much of a rabbit hole in this, but you know, that's kind of not the modern day take, I guess. No, it's, <laughs> going it, back to the like, yeah, absolutely not. I feel like when you think of Anglo-Saxons, a lot of people think the origins of white people, which I'm like, that's weird, but also no. the origins of like the original peoples to the British Isles, mm -hmm. which is also not the case. Yep. I kind of feel like you can liken this to the, for some Americans, their viewpoint on immigration in modern day, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, well, actually, you're an immigrant here. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, everyone's an immigrant from somewhere. Everyone's an immigrant from somewhere. So like, it's kind of like that, I guess that same philosophy, just way older. Yeah. So I guess, so this article that I'm referencing and we'll put on the website uh, came out in two, 2021. So very recently. Yeah. Um, and it says that, you know, the field of medieval studies, they've really you know, kind of as a holistic group, they've really stopped using the term Anglo-Saxon um, in favor of using something more accurate. So, uh, you know, even just ter specific terms like Saxons versus Angles or Northumbrians, like that actually is a much more accurate picture of the people you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, more broadly, they've just started using the terms early medieval English insular Saxons, but they're like very anti um, the use of Anglo-Saxons. So it was very interesting. Um, check out the article. It's way more detailed than what I gave you now, but I think it was just an interesting perspective from like two people that study this and they're obsessed with it. And it was on the Smithsonian website. So it's, it's pretty reputable. Cool. Just I'm, an interesting perspective. I'm definitely going to go and read that for sure. Yeah. So... <laughs> Because that's a really interesting concept that I feel like not a, pe a lot of people just, like, realize. Mm -hmm. I saw a TikTok the other day, too. So, like, absolutely no guarantee on correctedness here. But I saw something about the, the, there is this area. I believe it was the Middle East. But that is that is where the term Caucasian comes from. And that, oh, like, interesting. When you're actually referring to the word Caucasian, that you're referring to that area in the Middle East rather than, again, white people. Oh, interesting. I think that would actually be a really great... Let's put it on the future Patreon list. Kind of yeah. like the origins of these terms. And like, I well, feel like we could have some fun with that one. What we're all called today. Yeah. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know. Today was kind of an interesting choppy episode a little bit. But I really wanted to take um, our listeners this week just kind of on like the process that we go through when we do these things. Especially because I was like, the story of Lady Godiva is cool. There's not a ton here. There's not a lot of meat to it. But yeah. like, let's just see where it goes. And like, 
Let me just share the rabbit hole. So Lean into it. No. That I, was my very strange rabbit hole episode for today. <laughs> I think, to be honest, this like really like hugged my ADHD brain. It was like, <laughs> let me teach you about three different things, <laughs> but all together at once. So that was, for me, I'm like, I really like that because you kind of get like contextual, like here's a person like dealing with real life problems in that time. And then mm-hmm. here's also about the time. Yeah. Which I, for me, I love that. So thank you so much for doing all that research and, You're into welcome. That. and all those rabbit holes. Um, Deanna and I were just saying to each other earlier, like, no, actually, we're going to start doing rabbit hole Patreons, where we mm-hmm. literally just go through, like, our Google search history for the last month. It gets weird. <laughs> it gets so... Even just, like, in my personal time, when I'm not researching, I'm like, I want to learn about the Galapagos Islands. I want to learn how is tin made? How is this? Blah, 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 blah. Where do bananas originate from? Like, yeah. My brain's got a lot of questions. Yeah. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of, a lot of answers out there. And I feel like that would be a fun Patreon. It would be very fun. Or even a main feed episode if you guys were into it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Lots to come. Lots to come. Because we're almost at our one year anniversary. I can't even believe it. Part of me still feels like we're still like baby podcasters, but also we've done a whole freaking year. I know. It's crazy. Given we had like some times off, right? Like we took a little winter holiday break. We took a spring break. A little little summer chill. I have a little summer break sometime for sure. But um, I still can't believe it. I feel like as a history buff, an amateur history buff, <laughs> I've learned so much just in doing this. And it's been really fun. So Yeah. And as someone who had zero interest in history and knew nothing, like I know some stuff now. So I know like a lot cool. of stuff. <laughs> who knew that when I sent you, we should be saving this for our one year anniversary episode, but here we are. Yeah. Um, who knew that when I, I think, drunkenly sent you a Snapchat being mm-hmm. like, do you want to start a history podcast? <laughs> and I was like, sure. That we'd be here a year later with a history podcast. Here we are. Making all these new besties. Yeah. And thank you guys for listening to us. And it's so exciting to see like the amount of listens and the different like locations people are tuning in from and how it's evolved. And um, yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more closer to our anniversary because I'm going to get all like emotional right now. I know. Now, I'm, like, I'm, I'm going like, to save the emotions. Although yeah. we all know I got my emotions on tap. So like uh, give me an animal or something about <laughs> a soldier's dying. I will cry. Yeah. Um, but I will also cry on our one year anniversary. There we go. So anyway, thank you, Deanna, so much. This was literally so much fun. I can't wait to go read that article you were talking about. That's going to be up on our website, right? You'll have that on Yes, it will. Cool. Perfect. And for you listeners, thank you so much for tuning in this week we love you make sure to follow us on social media we're on instagram facebook tiktok twitter all historical podcast check out our website for the article deanna mentioned along with all of her other sources that's historicalpodcast.com you can send us a note via the website or just send us an email oh yeah or send us a dm we get a lot of instagram dms and that's really helpful too so if you have uh, some additional information or any sort of feedback or anything. Questions, ideas. Question, we, we just got a couple ideas the other day and I was like, oh my God, yes. These people that are like, 
well, I don't want to spoil anything, but <laughs> anyway, um, we love that stuff and we love that people reach out to us wanting to give us more information and teach us about stuff because then we can teach you guys about it. So that's really fun. Keep those coming. And if you guys want to support us, we also have our Patreon. We do a lot of fun episodes there too. And that's patreon.com slash historical podcast. We have different tiers. I think it's like three, five, and $10. So you can check that out there. And... Yeah, we love you guys. We hope you enjoyed this week's rabbit hole episode. <laughs> I know I did. I'm like, I loved it so much. So we will check you out next week. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. All right, bye. Bye. Back oh to back Deanna episodes. I know, this is so much fun. <laughs> I love being hype girl so much. It's and so also, fun. you need to watch Last Kingdom. I will. It's like Vikings meets drama meets love meets heartbreak meets more love meets more heartbreak plus a lot of sword fighting which i really enjoy all right let's do it that's really cool all right cool goodbye bye